Hello and welcome to Mixed Feelings, a podcast about news, politics, and pop culture on the Relay FM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I am here as always with my co-host, Jillian Barker. Hey, everyone. Hey, Quinn. Hi, Jillian. How are you doing? I'm good. I just submitted my, well, last night I submitted my thesis to the print shop, um, Ah. and so I'm going to pick it up later, and I'm so excited. Congratulations. I'm so excited for you. How do you feel? Do you feel like you have given birth? So a lot of people have asked me that. They're like, oh, you're like, when's your due date? Like, is, it feels like you've just birthed a child, right? And I was like, no, it feels like I'm at the end of a relationship that's going nowhere. And I'm just so over it. I'm just waiting for it to be over, it being my thesis. And like, I'm just like holding on to that, like, you know, so it's kind of, and I've used that analogy with a bunch of people and they were like, oh my God, I completely like resonate with that. And I was just like, that's alarming how quickly you can relate to that. I do think it's funny that a lot of people use it now, like, child rearing analogies for their thesis and you have the entire time used relationship analogies to discuss your thesis which I don't know what that says about your relationships but okay yeah cold marriage um what else have I used divorce annulment (laughs) waiting for the relationship to end (laughs) everything's fine in Jillian's world everybody yeah everything's great um how are you Quinn I'm fine I'm just sleepy yeah we're almost at spring break yes oh we'll mention this again at the end but speaking of spring break there is no episode next week because we will both be absent correct but we'll be back in two weeks and we'll also be back right now because the entire episode is ahead of us (laughs) yes looking looking into good things so we're going to start off today's episode with talking about uh something that frankly was inevitable and is wild which is an app for consent yeah quinn linked this to me and i was just like so perplexed at first i was like so there's an app base okay so it makes sense because basically what the app does um is that it's kind of just like a a legit record keeper of whether or not you agree to engage in promiscuous activity with someone. Um, okay, promiscuous activity is a bit of a, like a moral judgment on. Okay, um, sex. I don't know, <laughs> Quinn. I am Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, then it's an app where you can issue your like affirmative consent, and it's like all in one place, and there's like messaging and stuff. Um, and basically, it's supposed to. It's supposed to contribute something positive to this negative environment that we're living in, with, especially with regard to sexual assault and the recent movements socially, such as like Times Up, mo- the Times Up movement. Um, and I guess these app people were like, yeah, we're going to make an app. There's an app for that. So now there's an app to um, offer affirmative consent. Yeah, it's... It's very Black Mirror-esque. I mean, Black Mirror literally used this as a minor plot point in one of their most recent episodes. And so you can click off like, yes, I consent to this. And you can there you can choose particulars within the app. So varying levels of whatever you're consenting to. And you can go back and change your mind later, I guess, and like document that. And if you like felt like an encounter, you didn't consent to a, an encounter, you can send like the person a message with the app and it'll store that and all of this stuff is permissible in court which is an interesting thing so it's not it's not like a legal contract but it does count as a document of intent um, which is legally viable so that's interesting yeah so it's called legal fling and 
according to the website, it aims to make the sexual do's and don'ts explicit in a, quote, fun and clear way, end quote. Because apps are fun. I think that's the message. Yeah. But it also, like, lets them set boundaries before an encounter, but that can be, like, adjusted just by, like, changing your settings in the app. But, like, I, I don't know. To me, it's just like, hang on. I decided I want to do something. Hang on. Let me update my profile. <laughs> there are obviously a lot of issues with this, and I think that we both sound quite skeptical because I am quite skeptical. Oh, I am be skeptical. Yeah. So, I mean, with the overall message of the app, I can see where they're coming from, but this entire thing feels like the attempt to make a technological solution for a fundamentally human problem that doesn't necessarily translate. I feel like it's this problem that's been permeating in our culture for a long time, and I just don't know, like, what this app is trying... Like, I get that it's trying to combat it, but I feel like it's only addressing, like, the symptoms. It's not addressing, like, the main cause, if that makes sense. Yeah, I guess I'm struggling in particular with what is the scenario in which this app like helps people in that and what I mean by that is that I feel like if you're already on board with like let's use a consent app then you're probably already on board with like let's talk about it you know Mm -hmm. but but I can see so many ways in which this could be misused like when you change your mind about something um but like you've already given like this legally viable documentation that you were okay with it and then that becomes really messy and um complicated or like people just feel like they have to do something because they've like literally written down that they would do it or said that they would do it and recorded that you know Mm -hmm. or in cases of like domestic violence where someone forces someone else to to legally consent to something and then that's on record even if it was a forced encounter and this stuff is it's just like goes back to all of the same problems that we already have of like this stuff is difficult to prove and like it's so such a personal such an intimate thing between two people that like i don't really think this app solves that problem Mm -hmm. yeah it's such a slippery slope and in terms of like um just not only so you're like making a profile but then it's like you're almost trying to appear i don't want to say cool but like more like you know dtf or like more fun in quotes and like just you know by saying you're reckless and stuff by like agreeing to these things on an i don't know it's just like it kind of incentivizes you to put up this image of yourself that may not necessarily hold true in real life that's an interesting point as well. And I think with all of this, it's totally valid just to be like, this is weird. Like, this is just a weird thing. People don't want to use apps to, like, in the bedroom. People don't want to use apps to decide these, to, like, document and make these kinds of things happen. And I have, like, logical breakdowns of um, reasons why I'm concerned about this or just, like, skeptical of it. But there's also just, like, the non-rational feeling that, like, I'm a human and I don't want to use this app which when you're an app that's supposed to be like for a fundamentally human behavior is a problem. Yeah, it's just, there's just something so mechanical about it. It's like, you're hanging out with someone and it's like, ooh, but then it's like, oh, wait, hang on, need to need to update my preferences. <laughs> hang on, let me go into my settings real quick. You just unlocked level three. <laughs> <laughs> is there a bonus level? <laughs> Why don't you find out? <laughs> Oh my god, what if there was, like, premium subscription? <laughs> like, you know? 
Oh my god. Oh my god. I feel like this could be monetized very wrongly. That's very, very, very concerning. But the whole thing is like, it's such, I, if you aren't familiar with the show Black Mirror, it's the show that's like, what if phones, but too much, um, which is my favorite bad description of Black Mirror. Um, and so it's just like, oh, this sort of like twisted technology stories. And, but the thing is like people in Black Mirror, that you have a suspension of disbelief because they act and interact with technology fundamentally different than we do as people today. And it's like this idea that they have different technology and so different things are normal to them. But like this kind of thing is not normal to us. And so we're not like the people on Black Mirror that are comfortable updating apps when we feel different ways, you know? I have problems like verbally updating my, <laughs> my feelings, not even in an app, you know? It's just very weird. Mm -hmm. Fundamentally, I think that this question of consent is so, it's complicated, it's ever-changing, it's intensely personal, and it's something that has to be discussed between two people in a conversation. And I'm not saying, not like, sit down, like... <laughs> no, I mean, sit, I think that's preferable to, you know swiping on an app oh it's preferable swiping on an app i'm just saying like there there are ways to have like affirmative consent without making it a legal transaction or even a formal transaction um and i i i agree with what you said earlier about like this being trying to treat a symptom instead of the cause like the issue is like people not discussing consent and not respecting boundaries but mm -hmm. like i feel like this is something that's attacking that after the fact rather than like educating people on how to have these conversations just as people yeah like i feel like a a, wiki, a really well-written wiki how page could be more i don't know that's just more my speed but also like i just still can't get over the app name legal fling i feel like i feel like that's an app meant for i feel like that's like tinder for lawyers what i think is a really interesting note about this is that um you can trigger a cease and desist letter with the app <laughs> you're kidding i'm not kidding you can use this app to also give someone a cease and desist letter oh my god because it's supposed to be like all of this it's all of the legal stuff so like anything these interactions that you have with someone where you feel like you were violated then you can like document that in the app and it's all included sort of i don't know exactly how it works obviously i don't have this app but i i'm my understanding of it is that you can basically like have a file on your relationship with someone um, it's how I'm visualizing it. Why can't you just have an old-fashioned contract, like, in paper, like normal people? Jillian made a relationship contract for her relationship, and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah. So, is this app targeting, like, like, current people in relationships? Or is it, like, do you think it's eventually trying to, like, send a message to those who are going to start, you know, like, sexual relationships? Like, is this targeting, like, us? Or is this targeting, like, a few years younger than us, you know? Unclear. It's also, like, it's specifically called legal fling, not legal committed relationship. Yeah. So there's definitely a strong implication of, like, the types of encounters that this is built for. But legal fling also is catchier than legal committed relationship. I can't shake the feeling that with these apps, this is not the first iteration of this kind of idea, but it's sort of like the latest one. I mean, I suppose it's possible, but I just have trouble picturing a situation in which like this documentation like helps prosecute someone 
who committed sexual assault because like if they didn't consent to it then like there's no documentation of them not consenting to it Mm -hmm. is my impression yeah and also just like even if you look at it the other way like you agree or you set certain boundaries but then in like the moment you like want to change that but then like you you, I guess your partner is like, no, like you said on the app that you wouldn't do that. And like, I'm not going to let you do that unless you like put it in the app first. And then it's like, you're kind of like reducing your own autonomy to what's being recorded in this device, you know? So I'm not, a, I, I don't like this app. I will not be getting this app. I will also not be getting this app. Um, what I wonder is a scenario in which like this kind of thing becomes required like say at a college that has a sexual assault problem like all colleges and then they say like oh you're required to like use this app to consent before a sexual encounter which like no one would ever do and would never be enforced until something happens and then it would be like oh well like why don't you have the right documentation yeah it's like it's just, like, this very weird mechanical, like, documentation of literally everything. And, like, it's just, like... Mm, Why don't you just videotape everything? Just, like, have a have a record. <laughs> oh, my God. Ew, stop. Yeah. I need you to cease and desist. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we are missing something about this and, like, the ways that it could be genuinely helpful. And I think that, like, like I feel like it's made with the best of intentions and... It's trying to be part of this conversation, but it just feels very much like this sort of Silicon Valley attitude, like apps will fix everything when apps will not fix everything. Yeah, I also just don't like some piece of technology having a record of like everything that I've done in my personal life. Like I have an issue like using my credit card in places. Like I like using cash so people don't know where I'm buying things from. Like I don't like having records on me. Hmm. That's a little concerning, too. Yeah, you don't really want that kind of, like, that's just personal information. Like, I'm, like, just when you invite a third party, like, so I'm libertarian, right? So, like, I don't like the government, but, like, I understand why, and I understand the reasons the government, like, gets involved sometimes, right? And, like, sometimes it, like, does have to get into your life and into your records, even though I don't like it, but, like, I know that's something you have to do. But, like, I don't want like the government technically like in my romantic life personally so like i don't want like this app that could be like say say some you know corrupt person just bought it off like bought the information off me or on me or something right like it's just i I don't want that to be easy and specifically this app does say that like your information is protected like it is encrypted all of this stuff like Okay, thank you. (laughs) So I don't think they're necessarily just going around like selling people's information, but we're just kind of at this point, you're like, just take our word for it that your stuff is encrypted. When we see like stuff, information gets stolen all the time. Like people's social security numbers get stolen. all Like like, credit card numbers from like big companies like Target and like actual, you know, huge corporations that are supposed to have the best encryption in the world, their stuff gets stolen. So why am I supposed to trust this legal fling app? They also specifically say, signing a contract can ruin the mood, so consent with just one tap to not ruin the moment. And it's like... That's not the point! (laughs) I was like, wait, okay, first of all, this is, that's suggesting that this is a world in which everyone signs contracts and, like, this is the easier version. (laughs) But this is, that's, we're coming from a different direction. Yeah. And also, like, contracts are fun. 
So there's this running joke that people in future history classes, when they have to take tests on the members of Donald Trump's cabinet, it will be very hard considering like members leave left and right. Um, and the White House economic advisor, Gary Cohen, just quit. So um, basically, he was Trump's like lead economic advisor. He was like the COO um, and one of the presidents of Goldman Sachs. Um, and then he left the company to work for Trump. Um, and basically what Gary Cohen did was he pretty much helped develop like the only successful piece of Republican legislation there's been in this administration, um, which is the new tax reform bill. Um, but then Gary just decided to quit the other day. So, yeah. And this comes right at the heels of Hope Hicks, the White House communications director, also quitting. I mean, resigning. Yeah. All these people are resigning. They're definitely not quitting and running away. Yeah. And it's just like, so the reason why Gary um, Cohn quit is because Gary's views are a lot, Gary, my personal friend Gary, <laughs> um, his views are a lot more moderate than the populist policies that Trump like pretty much wrote out his entire campaign on. Um, basically, Gary Cohn believes in free trade and trump who is right now pushing really really hard for like tariffs on steel and all of this other stuff on on imports um and that is going to inevitably lead to some sort of trade war and gary was like uh-uh no i i want out no thanks no bueno canceled um and yeah so that's so that's where things are right now and it's particularly concerning because i mean he's been this advisor for about a year and so and clearly has been pretty influential and in, and in building this tax bill and all of this stuff but something happened that got him to the point i mean just like everything happens but he's gotten to the point where it looks like at this point he believes the benefit of just leaving the white house altogether is better than like staying and trying to um enact his power there which means he probably doesn't believe there's any chance of him stopping these tariffs from happening Mm-hmm. which is just like so scary to me because at least i don't know if there's a lot of if there's are any major like republican people who are like really pushing for tariffs besides like trump because like republicans in the senate are like not too happy about this um and like it makes sense like all, already like other countries are going to start to react the stock market is already reacting the dow dropped 300 points today on the fact that well on the news that gary um cohen was quitting so like mm, this is not ideal not ideal because i mean this this whole populist economics pattern is not really like what republicans want in general like they're looking for you know deregulation and tax cuts and this kind of thing they're not not like giant tariffs on steel and aluminum which is what trump is kind of going for right now and we're already seeing effects of this i mean not only in the dow with um not only in the dow with cohen's exit but also like the eu is talking about new taxes from stuff for stuff like juice and peanut butter from the u.s and and that's literally like in response to these proposed tariffs like it's not it's not because like suddenly they think peanut butter needs to be taxed more it's it's because we're starting a trade war congratulations everyone yeah and i i'm just like flabbergasted at the lack of knowledge that our president seems to have regarding trade wars because basically he was like oh uh trade wars are very easy to win and we will win them and i'm just like do do you know economics like have you taken a basic econ like 101 class because that's no. not how it works i don't think he has 
Yeah, so... Um, basically, it's just a matter of retaliation. So, like, if the U.S. puts imports on other countries' goods, then those countries are going to put imports... Um, are going to put import tariffs on our goods. And so, basically, we're just, like, isolating ourselves, decreasing globalization, which is overall going to lead to a decrease in overall GDP, which is just not great for the economy. So, yeah, this is this is a disaster waiting to happen. And it's happening. It looks pretty... I mean, nothing has happened officially yet. We'll see. <laughs> Maybe it'll happen by the time this episode comes out. You never know. You never know over here. But it's obviously, like, serious enough and people believe it's going to happen enough that the EU is already talking about retaliatory taxes as well, so... Yeah. And, like, there are economic theories where, like, okay, like, I've taken a class on international um, trade laws and things like that, and, like, there were, like, a few cases where, okay, yeah, maybe having, you know, some sort of tariff on imports is beneficial. But then again, this is also like in different, it was in a different type of economy. And it was like, it was in a theoretical model where like the countries weren't as economically dependent on each other as they are in the real world. So it's like, okay, well. I also think part of this is that he's claimed that it's because of, for a U.S. security issue, the just the the proposed tax is a twenty five percent tariff on steel and a ten percent tariff on aluminum, and there and there's this claim that national security is threatened, and I think the EU is just offended by that, mm-hmm. just in general is like ex- like seriously, you think it you know it's not a national security issue. This is just insulting. Yeah, and this is just like there are a lot of ways to get around certain tax laws, like. This might not hold for the steel one, but um, basically there was a tax on commercial vehicles for this one company. I it was either I think it was Toyota, um, but then what Toyota did was like since they were since it was like a twenty five percent tax on like commercial trucks and stuff, what they would do is that they would just like make the truck in Japan, put like one car seat in it or like one sort of like passenger seat and then have it be like oh nope this is a passenger vehicle ship it over to the u.s and then once it got to the u.s and passed like through all security and stuff they would just like take the bench out (laughs) wow (laughs) yeah so i don't know if that's i mean like that's probably not something feasible to do when it comes to straight up steel but like it's just goes to show that like there are ways to get around tax import laws it's just copper that we painted silver (laughs) Oh my god, imagine. Or, no, 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 they just paint it with a copper color now, and they're like, it's copper. (laughs) Yikes. Hire me for your smuggling needs. (laughs) You should put that on your business card, Quinn. You know, for all I know, someone's actually going to do that, and then I'm going to get in trouble. (laughs) I promise I don't have any steel, and I don't know how to import it to the United States if I did. Yeah. I'm also really bad at painting, so can't help you out there. Yeah, it would be so uneven. So so you're saying that this 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 is copper. Yes. Yes it is. Did you not see that I wrote copper on it? <laughs> but but you only painted like half of it. Uh oh no, it, it just came that way. Are you are you shaming it? <laughs> Yet another unrealistic beauty standard for copper. <laughs> Beyond the economic questions of this, there's also just like this is greater indication for how much the Trump White House is falling apart, which it has been since the trump white house started and especially i think because cohen was seen not as like a trump person as much if that makes sense because i mean like there there's a lot of people in this administration that are very much like associated with trump um whereas he like with a more out of the spotlight role um and a more moderate view 
um, slash more traditional view even um, of economics than Trump had that like he wasn't as closely associated and was sort of seen as like a more mature figure and someone that was like and someone that was maybe helping the White House actually be mildly productive. And could, like, be the grown-up in the room. Yeah. And by productive, I mean, like, in productive in terms of the Republicans' goals, not, like, my personal opinions. But, but like, also, like, ugh, Trump is not a Republican. And, like, is not a Republican. And, yes, the Republicans, like, the Republican Party in itself has a lot of issues. But, like, Trump is just, like, breaking away from, like... Republican ideals in general, like, Cohen wasn't the only one who, like, did not want these tariffs to happen. Like, Paul Ryan, who we all know does not have a backbone whatsoever, actually publicly criticized this. Um, And so did Texas Senator Ted Cruz, who has, like, pretty much been, like, gung-ho about everything that Trump has done so far. So, you know, when you're two, like, biggest supporters, in quotes, or whatever, the people who have, like, been standing by you for a majority of the time even though you've just decided to personally put things on fire like once those people once you lose those people's support then it's like dude what are you doing by the way side note on that did you see that Mitt Romney's running again did he is he really yeah Ugh. here's the thing about Mitt Romney just just related to this is regardless of his actual politics I feel like even if I totally agreed with him politically i still couldn't vote for him at this point because he's clearly shown that he has no morals like he was he was one of the people who was like i stand against trump like he's such a terrible person and then the second trump actually got elected he was like let me like i'll go out for dinner with you like please give me a position in your cabinet and then trump didn't and um it was just very like okay so you're just gonna suck up to power whenever it's there i guess so bye i mean doesn't everyone do that to an extent though no there's a difference between i mean maybe everyone does it to an extent but that was a pretty extreme extent i mean yeah you can't argue with that but like i don't know i like romney so that's just me uh-huh yeah is it too much to ask for one republican with a spine is it too much <laughs> yeah that's asking for a lot <laughs> i'm asking for a lot right now <laughs> Nah, libertarians, let me tell you. JK, we have, like, Gary Johnson, and that we all know how that went. Yeah, that didn't go well. Y'all didn't help a lot. Yeah, sorry. That's why Quinn and I are going to run for office. No. Okay. <laughs> I think a lot about how this show has ruined any chance I ever have of running for public office or, like, working in journalism, which are two things I definitely don't want to do, so I'm pretty comfortable with that yeah like you thought i hated the government before now i'm just like because i feel like i feel like everyone kind of starts i think not even just like people in college but like even when you're a kid you're like oh like i want to like be president or like i want to like give back and like help out and like go to the root of the problem aka like what's happening in the united states and just in general like not just in this administration but like in general um over the years but like oh my god that was such that was such a blanket statement <laughs> like in general you know over the years uh-huh. um but like i don't know just learning more about the ins and outs of government and just like all of the, the shady stuff that goes on and just like how things get passed it just it makes you very cynical about the entire establishment all of politics basically yeah pretty much remember when the government well no but like remember how hypothetically the government was about policy and not politics 
Yeah, back in that. Okay, the last time that happened was in like, come on, like eighteen hundred. Yeah, I mean, I don't really think this is a realistic thing that actually happened, but hypothetically, the government is about like helping people's lives be better and fixing problems, and instead, it's it's a mess. Yeah, the human world, it's a mess. Like political in general was supposed to be like a positive adjective, right? But now it's just like, oh, nope, negative connotation. Politics. <laughs> For the record, I was quoting The Little Mermaid. I don't want people to think I've lost my mind. <laughs> we have come to the crowning end of awards season with the Oscars. Ah, uh, yes. Hollywood's biggest night. Yeah, and I actually know some of the movies. Well, I actually watched one of the movies that was nominated for a bunch of stuff. Um, I did see Lady Bird. Hey, me too. That's also, it's also the only one I saw. Yep, same. So good thing that we have a lot of diversity in our uh, <laughs> movie expertise. Well, regardless of what movies we have pers- personally seen, which the, the issue of like no one's seen any of the Oscar movies is a whole cultural phenomena in itself. And the way that like the best picture nominees used to be things like Titanic, which were the biggest movies out there. And now like we all watch superhero movies and they don't want to nominate any of the superhero movies. And it's this weird push back and forth of like high culture and pop culture. I, I have a lot of feelings, but that's not really what we're talking about today. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to talk about, um, well, The Shape of Water was the big winner, got Best Film and Best Director. Yeah. And we both talked about wanting to see that, but did either of us? No. Nope, of course not. I might want to watch it eventually. I really want to see, I still have not seen Get Out, which I, I know. know is like a personal failing of mine. Yes. But I also am such a wimp, and it's scary. No, yeah, it looks horrifying. I read the Wikipedia review. So I don't want to watch it by myself, but then I missed it when it was, like, actually in theaters, and then I'm going to have to watch it with friends during the day sometime. I will watch it with you. Okay. Once thesis is handed in and we're back from spring break and thriving. Okay. I think I want to see The Shape of Water. I'm intrigued. We'll see. I did see Lady Bird. Um, And you didn't like Lady Bird. No, I thought it was fine. It was just, like, an emotionally taxing movie experience. Yeah. I mean, like, in the first, like, two minutes, they called out the Catholic Church, and I was just like, (sighs) I feel personally attacked. Also, I was watching this with Teresa, one of our friends who's also Catholic, um, and pretty much, like, this girl, like, goes to a Catholic high school and, like, goes to church, and so there's, like, a lot of Catholic culture in the movie. Um, And so me and Teresa were watching it and, like, loving it. But then there's this scene where they receive ashes on Ash Wednesday, and they just get the ashes, and I, like, turned to Teresa, and I was like, well, clearly the person didn't do their research because after you get the ashes, you're supposed to say amen, and they didn't say anything. And Teresa was like, this is blasphemy. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> no, I liked Lady Bird. I want to watch it again because I, I, I like very personally related to a lot of stuff in the film, and I felt like um, watching it was an emotional experience. But I want to watch it again as just like a movie watching experience. You know, mm-hmm. the dialogue between the mom and Lady Bird was like a it's lot. a lot. It's so much. <laughs> like I watched, it, I watched it with um, Teresa Azra and Caroline, and we were all like oh my god this is wow yikes i want to clarify that i have a good relationship with my mother because now i that makes it sound like my mother is like the mother from lady bird which she is not no no i feel like we all have like good relationships with our moms in general i just think like some of the things that like the mom said is they're just very mom they're momisms they're momisms yeah anyway lady bird did not have a lot of big wins at the Oscars. Which is annoying because I really liked the director. Yeah. Greta Gerwig was the fifth woman nominated for Best Director ever, and she did not win. Um, Guillermo de Toro won for Shape of Water. 
which okay um i haven't seen it so i don't know but um he seems like a good guy makes super interesting films he's bringing sort of a more sci-fi element into um oscar films which is really cool because that's a a sphere where there's so much interesting fascinating work that's happening but it tradition hasn't been awarded by sort of traditional mainstream award ceremonies in this way so i mean it had to be like a super weird fish love and monster movie but um it's also a sci-fi movie so it's pretty cool to see that awarded yes yes it is Oh, and Get Out won for Best Screenplay, so that means that Jordan Peele of Key and Peele fame is officially an Oscar winner. That's just that's just so great to me. Did oh you see God. the pictures of Keegan-Michael Key celebrating? No, I didn't. Hang on, I'm Googling this right now. You should look them up, yes. I will link them in the show notes. They are so adorable, because, I mean, like, all you want is to have, like, best friends that will support you, right? And, like, he was so incredibly excited for him when he won and he was celebrating so much. It, it's adorable. So that was an awesome moment. And another really cool thing that happened is Robert Lopez is now the officially the first person in history to double EGOT. So Robert Lopez um, has written a ton of music, including for like Book of Mormon and Avenue Q and Frozen. Yes, this is the guy that wrote Let It Go. And he was the first person, he was the youngest person in history to EGOT, which means Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. And he did that um, at like 39. And then Lin-Manuel Miranda would have beat him, but then friggin' La La Land stole his Oscar. And I know I brought this up multiple times. And La La Land wasn't even that good. This is still the greatest of justice. But anyway, um, but then just four years later, he's now double EGOTed because now he has, he has two Emmys, three Grammys, two Oscars, and three Tonys. So an E-E-G-G-G... O-O-T-T-T. That sounds like I'm reading letters off a chart at the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. And he's only 43 years old. Like, we are all slackers. Yeah. He's just... He knows how to pick the projects, is what he really knows, because he has... It seems like everything that he works on... He does, obviously he does a very good job. I don't want to be dim- diminish his Maybe he's skills, just Midas. But, um, maybe. Or maybe he's Midas, the Greek character. <laughs> Where everything he touches turns to gold. Mm-hmm. Except then he turns his daughter into gold, and then that was just really awkward. That's bad. Yeah. But I mean, it's one thing, like, clearly he's a very talented, very hardworking songwriter, but also, like, he's working on these, like, very popular projects as well. Because, I mean, if you're writing for the big Disney Pixar movie, then you have just a way better chance of winning Best Song at the Oscars, because they win Best Song at the Oscars all the time, you know? Yeah, true. They're all clearly helping each other in that in that case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to turn this conversation about the Oscars into something that I've been thinking a lot about recently, and I just sort of want an excuse to talk about it, which is fame. Mm-hmm. I have so many thoughts about fame, and yes, I did start singing the song in my head. Um, no, out loud. <laughs> she sang this out loud before. You started singing it first. I literally said the one line. And then I sang the rest of the chorus. Yes. I said the, t- the title of the song, Fame, and I sang it like dramatically. And I was like, I'm gonna Fame forever. I'm going to learn how to fly. Fame. Yeah, and that I went on. I feel it coming together. People will see me and cry. Fame. Okay, that's all I know, I promise. I mean, actually, if you put the song on, I could probably sing the entire thing, but that's all I know from memory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Quinn. Anyway, no, I do want to talk about fame, seriously, because I think that the way I think about fame is very different than the way I thought about it a couple of years ago. Whereas I feel like growing up, you have like A-list celebrity actors and it's a lot of um, like actors and singers and people who 
are in the spotlight and like oh those are famous people and and you just sort of get excited about people just because they're famous regardless of whether or not you are personally super familiar with their work is this like an accurate portrayal of what that is you think i think so yeah yeah well i feel like my perspective on that has changed a lot and i think part of that is just growing up and also personal experiences and interactions that i've had and just now i feel like genuinely i value the work that people do so much more than their level of fame per se and so like now people who i didn't know anything about before who aren't who are like theater people or all like these directors and these writers who are doing work that I want to do even though they are so much less recognizable than you know like a-list actors I mean actors are also great and like some of them like I really like their movies or whatever but they're they have so much less appeal to me now because they're not it's not the kind of work that I want to do and so they're not people that I'm looking up to and so I'd be like I'd be a lot less excited to meet like, I don't know, like Jennifer Lawrence and I would be to meet Greta Gerwig just because one is like a direct person that I can look up to. Can 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 we meet both of them? I mean, sure, why not both? But <laughs> I don't know. How do you feel about this? I mean, I think I look at fame more from like, like when I was grow- when I was little, like I just like want to be famous because that's what like everyone wants to be when they're little. Like I mm-hmm. want to be a princess and I also want to be like a movie star and I want to be a movie star princess. Um, there are Disney movies for your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I feel like growing older, I'm just like, wow, like I just read tabloids and I read and especially with the rise of social media and like actors and actresses and just like anyone really celebrities models the kardashians i put the kardashians in their own separate category um as you should (laughs) as you should um and just like they they have like this i don't want to say responsibility but they it's just like this huge task where they have to like uphold this certain image just like all the time and i like don't think i could do that um and then there are a lot of celebrities though who like are more low-key and they're like no like i keep my public life separate from my personal life and stuff like that um and so like they may not have like twitter accounts or like instagram accounts and things like that but then like i I don't know i just feel like the most famous actors and actresses have like this weird balance of both because like that's kind of what you need because you need to like be able to be successful and like people want to look up to you but then also you have to curate that image and be someone relatable and that's like fun to hang out with like chrissy teigen (laughs) like chrissy teigen that's a good example i just ended up following her on twitter and it's probably like the best decision i've made in a long time i know right she's she's so great i love chrissy teigen (laughs) see i'm getting really excited to meet her but literally just be i'm just as excited to meet chrissy teigen as i would be like any other twitter person that i really like like you're great (laughs) you're so funny i want to hang out with you yeah oh my god she seems so fun um but yeah so i don't want to be famous anymore is what i'm trying to say Mm -hmm. i do but that is because i have deep-seated psychological issues (laughs) oh my god no you don't (laughs) okay you do but it's fine (laughs) (laughs) that's the thing is i feel like people who work kind of everyone who works in entertainment like wants to be famous or at least not necessarily wants to be famous but wants to be well known in what they do because like you can't really be successful in a business like entertainment without people knowing who you are and knowing what you do because that's how you get jobs 
And so it's not necessarily that you have to be like a celebrity, but you have to be well known in at least your field. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's a a different form of fame, but Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think to a certain extent, that's like most industries. It's like, you need to be like well-known what you do, but I think like entertainment, especially just like takes it to a whole nother level. Yeah, because it's not like people are writing magazine articles reviewing your plumbing job, right? Right. Like, you you get, like, a Yelp review. But, you know, if you're a director, like, putting on a local production, then someone's going to review that in a newspaper, and, like, that is going to impact what you do next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm stressing myself out. I yeah, kind of are. hate my career choice. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I wish there was a way to to do this without the the intense reliance on public approval yeah but hey i'm all about words of affirmation and external validation all about it it's like i like kind of want to be famous but i like still want to like live my life you know like i don't want to be kim kardashian like that would be a disaster i would not handle that well mm-hmm. but that's what i'm not really asking I'm not really talking about like whether or not you want to be famous. It's just like the idea of what fame is and like but the the idea of like I think that fame is held up as like like it in it in this inherent achievement and like something that ma- like being famous like makes you worthy of something. Like people knowing who mm-hmm. you are makes you worthy of something. And whereas I think that like my perspective on it has changed in that like fame is not like a virtue in itself it's just like a consequence of the work that you do and like and so I think more about like what work are people doing and do I like that work rather than like how famous are they yeah that makes sense like you're looking at fame as sort of like a symptom of what you've been doing not necessarily like the root I also like the your characterization of fame with a negative connotation word yes it is a symptom (laughs) well (laughs) yeah well symptoms can be good ish usually not yeah no it's usually illness (laughs) yeah anyway i brought all this up just because i was thinking about the oscars because i feel like before like i don't even i'm like i do know who won the best acting categories but i barely know because i was focusing so much more on the writing and directing and like best film and stuff like that and I also think it's just made me care a lot more about these kinds of award shows because I was like, oh, it's just a bunch of celebrities parading around, like, whatever. But now it's, like, it's not – like, I really just genuinely really care who wins. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm very interested in who wins in a way that I wasn't before. I'm basic and I just love the outfits. The outfits are also great. Let's not let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. Ugh. Everyone's so beautiful. Also true. There are also very interesting connections with how physically attractive you are and how famous you are, but just how successful you are in general. People suck. Yep. And on that note, that's going to be all from us today. If you would like to find us on Twitter, you can follow us at MixedFeelingsFM. You can also find our show notes online at Relay.FM slash MixedFeelings. There's also a contact form if you want to send us an email. You can find me on Twitter at AspiringRobotFM. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Jillian Parker. And just a quick reminder as well that we will not have an episode next week because we will both be gone. But we will be back in two weeks. Back and better than ever. Uh, well... More sunburned than ever, probably. <laughs> Debatable, yeah. Um, so thanks for talking with me today, Quinn. Thank you for talking with me. I'm Jillian Parker. I'm Quinn Rose. And these were our mixed feelings.